Good morning. Scripture reading this morning is on page 8 of the worship folder. It is Romans 3, 23 and 24, and Jeremiah 2, 13. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're in the middle of a series called The Gospel Life. And last week we talked about what is the gospel, and we came to the conclusion that it is in fact a person. It is Jesus Christ. Is the embodiment is the gospel for us, and that in that we find grace and mercy and truth and peace and justice and compassion in Christ who shows us completely who God is, everything about who God is that we can then enter in. And today we move on in this series, and we're going to talk about a problem. But I, but I want to ask you a question first. Do you have a word, a particular word, that you don't like to hear? Oftentimes we all have words that are like that. Words that we don't like to hear that ring into our ears very strangely or weirdly and sort of obnoxious to some of it. It might be curse words. It might be a particular curse word that you have. For some of you, it might be the word moist. I know moist is a, like one that is like, whoa, what did you just say? Don't say that word. Right? George Carlin, who's a comedian, he's no longer with us. He had a, a, a bit that was called The Seven Words You Can't Say on Public Television. Uh, and it was all curse words is what he was talking about. I think this, that there's one word that we don't say that often, that even when we do say it, people are a little bit like, oh, I don't think you can say that word anymore. And that word is sin. S-I-N. I think it rings in our ears and we're like, oh, I don't know about that. Scott McKnight is a, a theologian and a professor. He's written several books. He, he had a class that he taught at the university he was at called Jesus. And it was about the life of Jesus. And he got in the habit uh, of letting people uh, say the Lord's Prayer. He wanted everybody to say the Lord's Prayer at the end of the class. And in the Lord's Prayer, it says, forgive us our debts or forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our sin. And he had a group of students who went to the, the administrators and said, you have to have Professor McKnight stop having us say this because it's offensive to us. Now, this is a Bible college. And they're saying, like, sin is, you know, that's taboo. We can't say that word. It's so hard for us to hear. And part of it, to be fair, is because the way that sin has been portrayed to us, the way that we've heard sin talked about for who we are. Oftentimes when we hear the word sin, it comes at us with condemnation. It comes with us with no rescue. It, it comes to us almost as if it's, here's the rules, and you've broken the rules that makes you bad, and so since you're bad, you get punished, and since you get punished, we don't like to hear about sin. Jonathan Merritt's an author, and he's written a book called Learning How to Speak God from Scratch. 
Now, it's not a, a, a theological tome necessarily. It's much more about uh, words that we use that have changed meanings or lost their meanings or kind of set somewhere else. And in it, he talks about sin. There's a chapter on sin. And he reminds us of how he grew up in the South, where anytime somebody was, South in the United States, when anytime was talking about sin, they always did it from the standpoint of you, you, you. Never we or me. And so it's understandable why we would come to the place of going, oh, I don't know that I want to hear about sin. But when we look at these two passages that we have here, as we're walking the gospel life, trying to figure out what it means to be fully having our identity in Christ and who he is and what he has done for us, we begin to recognize that sin is so much more than the things that we paint it as, and it actually gives us an insight into who God is. It's this amazing thing that God can take the darkest of the dark, the, the, the dirtiest of the dirtiest, the most murderous of the murderous, the, the, the most terrible of the terrible, and use it for his glory to work through it. Maybe a good definition of us to walk through in sin, just to summarize, is this. It's not bearing the image of God that we were created to do. We're created in the image of God, and when we don't show forth that image, that's a sin. Jonathan Merritt in his book about sin puts it this way. We might say that sin is whatever contributes to life being less than what God intended. Under this definition, sin is sickness, a problem, a failure to live ethically rules that promote life. It's like a stain or a weight, and in some ways, a debt. It is brokenness and messiness and mistakes. Sin is a death dealer and a life stealer. And so as we come into this passage, and particularly look at that Jeremiah 2.13, we begin to see what sin really is. There's two things that are taking place here, right? God is saying to his people, you've committed two evils. The first is that you have forsaken me, who has life. And the second is that you have sought out to make new cisterns or new wells to bring up water that they hold no water. So for us as a definition of sin is understanding that the creator, the sustainer, the one who gives us all complete life is God. He does that through Jesus Christ. It helps us to flourish. It helps us to be all that we're created to be, who he's made us to be. And when we do something different, it means we are doing two things. The first thing that we are doing is we are minimizing what God has provided. God has given us all that we need to live lives of fullness, lives of flourishing, lives that are honoring to the way that he created us to be. And so when we do something different than that, we are minimizing who God is. We are saying to God, in a sense, you don't have the water that I need. That you don't possess the things that will make my life what I believe my life should be. 
So when we're encountering this problem that separates us from being able to live a life in the gospel in Jesus, it's because we have decided God is not faithful and true to his promises. That God cannot provide for us the things that we need to flourish. And so we think that's not living water that he provides, but it is putrid. And so I don't want to have anything to do with it. Now, we do that subtly in our lives. It's not like we out and out. Now, some of us have at some points gone, no, and run away as far as we can and as fast as we can. Oftentimes, it's little bits and little days that we think, oh, yeah, I really should be relying on God in this, but I'm going to try and do this on my own. Oh, yes, I should be trusting God for my identity about who I am, but I really like my job, and I think it makes me important. Yes, yes, I know that I should be seeing myself through Christ by God's eyes, knowing that I can do no wrong that would cause him to love me any less. However, as long as my family loves me completely the way that I need them to love me, then I'm worthy. See, we've minimized God. We've said, you can't give me what I need. The second part of that is this. It says you've hewn out cisterns or you've dug up wells for yourself that have no water. So the second part of this problem is not only do we minimize God, we minimize our own ability (laughs) to do something. We we actually maximize it in our head, thinking that we're going to be able to save ourselves, that we're going to be able to find the thing that's going to give us what we want, that that we're going to be the ones that find that one thing and say, you complete me, you've made me whole. And the reality is that can't happen outside of the one who's created us. The one who's made us and knows us and is the one who provides life for us. And so we get caught in this cycle where we're not sure what we're supposed to do. This minimizing of God's holiness and this minimizing of our own ability to save ourselves. We begin to trivialize God and trivialize our own ability to do something. And we get stuck. But that's the beauty of Romans 3.23 and 24. So we know that this is the problem, right? That sin is there. That it is when I do not act as God created me to be. In all the fullness that he has made me to be. That I'm not aligning with his, his purpose, with his meaning, with how he has made me to be. And then when I step out of that, I realize I'm broken. But here's the thing. All of us are broken. We're not alone in this. So the first thing I want you to do is not feel shame about this. Not step into this place and go, oh, it's only me. It's not. Uh, Some of you have a different problem. Some of you think it's all of them. (laughs) And it's not me. Let me read Romans 3.23. For all... All, the Greek word is all, the Hebrew word would be all, Spanish word would be all, Indonesian word would be all, any word would be all. It is everyone, totality, all of humanity, everyone that has been created, it is all, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
as I was thinking about this whole concept of sin and how we engage in it and, and why we don't like it, it brought to mind, sadly, a song by the Pet Shop Boys. The Pet Shop Boys are a band in the late early, early 90s. They're probably still around touring someplace, small clubs. They wrote a song that's called, It's a Sin. Listen to the lyrics. It says, when I look back upon my life, it's always with a sense of shame. I've always been the one to blame for everything I long to do, no matter when or where or who has one thing in common too. It's a sin. It's a sin. It's a sin. Everything I've done, everything I ever do, every place I have ever been, everywhere I'm going, it's a sin. At school, they taught me how to be so pure in thought and word and deed. They didn't quite succeed for everything I long to do, no matter when or where or who, has one thing in common too. It's a sin. It's a sin. It's a sin. Everything I've ever done, everything I ever do, every place I have ever been, everywhere I'm going to, it's a sin. Father, forgive me. I tried not to do it, turned over a new leaf. Then I tore right through it. Whatever you taught me, I didn't believe it. Father, you fought me because I didn't care and I still don't understand. So I look back upon my life forever with a sense of shame. I've always been the one to blame for everything I long to do, no matter when or where or who has one thing in common too. It's a sin. It's a sin. Everything I've ever done Everything I've ever do, every place I've ever been, everywhere I'm going to, it's a sin. Now, that wasn't a Christian group. How amazing is that? That place where we'll go, oh, everything that I'm doing is a sin to, to be that honest, to be that truthful that I like to sit on the throne of my heart and move away from the, the, the stream of living water and go to a well that doesn't have any water at all. How, why, why? Why is that important for me to know? Well, one, it does this. It helps me look for hope. Look for the place where I can be made whole. The second thing that it does is it helps me see the divine in everyone else. Because when I begin to recognize that all sin and fall short of the glory of God, then it forces me to no longer set categories with the humanity around me. I no longer can go, I'm better, I'm worse, they're better, they're worse. Why? Because all have sinned. <laughs> That I see humanity as those who are either looking for false water or those who are living in the streams of water. Living water. And wanting to move those to the streams of living water who are tasting dirt and thinking that it is water itself. James Merritt again says this, the definition of sin being us not living up to what God has created us to be, frees us to do this. It frees us to affirm that God hates sin. Not because God is an angry rule maker, but because God loves us without constraint. God wants each of us to live life abundantly. God wants peace 
peace for us. God wants shalom for us. God wants us to flourish. God wants us to recognize the divine imprint in others and support their flourishing. Any force that resists the abundant life is called sin. And this is a force which God stands opposed to. And ultimately, he showed the way in this. Just so we don't get trapped in that place of like, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. But hear this. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Why did we say the gospel is Jesus? Because he is the one who deals with the problem. He's the one who says, yes, you are a person who likes to get on the throne of your heart, but I am the one who rules over your heart and will move you off that throne gently, lovingly, carefully, sometimes painfully, so that you can see that I have living water for you. I will move you beyond. It helps us to stop pretending that God doesn't have what we need and minimizing his holiness and stop pretending that we have the ability to save ourselves. And when we're honest with the problem of sin that holds us in bondage to self-salvation, then we can surrender to Christ completely. But we first have to be honest that I like self-salvation. One of the most interesting things about that song by the Pet Shop Boys is at the very end of the song, you start hearing this Latin that's being sung underneath it. Now, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that they're a late 80s, 90s band, and you're going to have to go YouTube them if you're you know, younger than me. And if you're older than me, you're probably going to have to go find somebody to help you YouTube them. <laughs> but you'll hear it. And and you'll be able to dance to this song, by the way. And the Latin says this, I thank you, almighty God, brethren, because I have sinned exceedingly in thought, word, and deed, and omissions. It's my fault. But the first line is, I thank you, almighty God. I thank you. Almighty God. Why do we thank the Almighty God? Because in His holiness, in the thing that makes Him so far beyond and out of reach, in that very thing, He says, I will come to you in that so you can receive completely all that you need to live. And so with the Pet Shop Boys today, we can say, I thank you, Almighty God. I thank you that you're the one who who came as Christ in order for me to see what water really is. I thank you for coming as Christ so that I can know that I can't save myself. I thank you for coming as Christ Almighty God so that I can share this with others around me. That I am broken, but I am boldly and wholly remade in Christ and Christ alone alone, who is the gospel for us. Let me pray for us. Father, release us. Release us from our self-salvation, our tendency to perform, our ability to fake out people that we are doing well. Lord, make us to hate sin like you hate sin, 
but know that when we sin, we are not separated from you because you have come to to do away with it. You have made peace for us in Christ Jesus. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing in response.